Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with marriage and divorce as we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 31. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. In the beginning, it was not so. Now, the law was added later on. The law came many years later. In the beginning, God now goes back to Adam and Eve. God, Jesus now goes back to God's perfect initial plan for family relationships, for husband-wife relationships. It was originally God's divine intent that you have a once-for-life marriage relationship. In the beginning, God made them male and female, and for this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, that which God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And that is God's divine ideal for every couple. But, Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses said, let him give her a writing of a bill of divorcement. Now, Jesus is not going back to the law. He's going back before the law. He's going back to God's divine intent for man and for husband and wife relationships. But because man's heart was hard, and he could not come up to God's divine ordinance and will. God then, under the law, gave the law of divorce that a man finding an uncleanness in his wife could put her away. Now, I believe that some marriages are a mistake from the beginning. They should never have been. Young people so often getting married have a totally wrong concept of marriage. I'm tired of living at home. I don't want to take orders from my parents anymore. I'm going to escape. I'm going to get married. I want my freedom. And you say, well, when are you going to get married over getting married the first? The first what? The first chance I get. (laughs) You know, they're just out to get married. So that many times they do not use good sense or good judgment in their choice of a marriage partner. Because he was good looking and was a tackle on the football team, played first string and all, Oh, you know, I'm in love. But the guy's as mean and rough in the home as he is out on the football field. He has no love, no care, no tenderness. The marriage was a mistake from the beginning. He uses his wife as a punching bag. He gets rid of all of his aggressions on her, and the poor little thing is beat up, terrified. 
Now, does God say, well, young lady, you made a mistake. You made your bed. You live in it. You're just going to have to settle down and de- to the fact that you're going to be his punching bag and you're going to live the rest of your life in terror of this brute. I don't believe so. I don't believe that God requires that. I don't believe that God ever intended that marriage be a terrorized experience, you know, where in experience where you live in constant terror. I don't think that that was God's intention for marriage ever. In fact, God said to the husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. But there are some people whose hearts are hardened against God's divine ideal whose hearts are hardened against God and thus they make very poor marriage partners. And God knowing that people could not achieve, that is all people could not achieve his divine ideal, then created the alternate out by the law of divorcement that he gave to Moses, but know that that isn't God's best for a person's life. The best and first ideal of God for a person is one marriage for life. Now, those that have made mistakes or can't live with that, God has developed the alternate. Let him give her a writing of a bill of divorcement. Now, it is obvious that this would come early. If he marries her and finds an uncleanness in her, in other words, Just as soon as you're married, you realize, hey, this was a mistake. Then you're allowed to put her away with the writing of divorcement. Now, if then she would go out and marry another man, and the other man that she married in time would die, and you think, well, she wasn't too bad, maybe I'll take her back. No, you can't do that. You've already put her away once, and thus you're not to take her back again as your wife, this would be an abomination unto the Lord. And so interesting law of divorce that is here under the law that God did give in certain conditions, and Jesus declared the law was given for the hardness of the hearts of the people because man could not come up to God's divine ideal. How much better if we come up to God's divine ideal? But if you can't handle that, then God has made the out through divorce. Now, when a man has taken a new wife, he doesn't have to go to war or charged with any business for a whole year. He can just stay home and cheer his wife. With some wives, it wouldn't be much cheer after a few months. You're not to take the nether or the upper millstone as a pledge. Now, The reason why you weren't to take a millstone as a pledge is because people, actually, that was their livelihood. You you use your millstone to grind your meat, your wheat. And all of you don't have your millstone, man, you're out of bread, you know. So uh, you weren't allowed to take these as a pledge for a debt. If a man was found stealing or kidnapping any of the children to make merchandise of them, he was to be put to death. Kidnappers, capital punishment. And then watch out for the plague of leprosy. Let the priest follow Moses' instructions on that. Remember what the Lord did to Miriam, that is, by her coming against Moses. So honor the leadership. 
and then further laws concerning the pledges that you could take and the pledges that you weren't to take. You weren't to take a man's blanket as a pledge because at night if he got cold and said, oh God, I'm cold and start praying to God, God would hold it against you because you had his blanket. So you're in trouble with God because this guy's complaining to God and you're the fault, is he? So you don't want to do anything that would cause a fellow to complain to God about his situation because then God comes to you for it. And so you're, if, if you hire a man, you're to pay him at the end of the day, lest he is hungry and say, oh, God, I'm so hungry, and he didn't pay me today, you know, and oh, I'm hungry. And then God comes to you because you're the fault of this guy bothering God. And so uh, you're not to put the fathers to death for the sins of the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the sins of their fathers. Every man was to be put to death for his own sin. You're not to pervert the judgment of a stranger or the fatherless or take a widow's raiment as pledge. God watch out, watches out for the strangers, for the fatherless, for the downcast, for the outcast, and so forth. God, God has a special tender care for them. Now, when you cut down the harvest in your field, if you remember, oh, I left a sheaf out in the field, don't go back and get it. You just leave that for the poor. They can come in behind you and get it. When you go through and pick your olives, you only pick the olive tree once. Those olives that are still green and not ready to be picked, you just leave them on the tree, and then the poor people can come into your grove and they can pick the olives that you leave. When you go through and pick the grapes in your vineyard, you're to not pick them all, leave the green ones, those that aren't completely ripe, but you can't go back and pick your, your vineyard the second time. You have one shot through to get your harvest. Whatever's left, you just leave it on the vines for the poor people. So really, it was an excellent welfare program. The poor could always go out into the fields and gather up whatever was left there in the fields. Now, I've noticed up here a lot of times when they're harvesting the cabbage and all, actually, they leave as much in the field as what they pick almost. And how wonderful it would be if after they'd gone through, rather than plowing under the cabbage, the poor people could just come in and help themselves to the cabbage or the celery or the lettuce or these various fields that are planted up here. Much better than plowing it under. It would be to just say, all right, you know, it's, it's there, help yourself, and let people just come in and help themselves to it. That was what they did in those days. You, you could shake your olive tree once, and whatever shook down the first shaking you could have, but then you had to leave the rest of it, and the poor could move in, and, and thus the poor could actually, uh, you know, gather enough to get along themselves. And so... It was an excellent welfare program for the poor. You shall leave it. You're not to glean, for it will be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Now in chapter 25, he continues these interesting kind of regulations. If two men have a controversy between themselves, then they come to the judges and let the judges justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And if it comes to pass that the wicked man is worthy to be beaten, then you are to lay upon him not more than 40 stripes. 40 stripes was the limit. Now, 40 is a number of judgment. 
and they weren't to lay upon them more than 40 stripes. Usually they would lay upon them 39 because you couldn't exceed 40, and so you want to have mercy tempered with your justice, so the sentence was so often 39 stripes. And that was the sentence that was laid upon Jesus, 39 stripes. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he is treading out the corn. As long as the ox is working, treading out the corn, then he gets to eat all the corn he wants. Don't put a muzzle on him, let him eat. If your brethren are dwelling together, one of them dies and he has no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry outside of the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And the first child that she bears shall be named after the brother that is dead, that his name not be put out of Israel. So it was a neat little provision so your name wouldn't die in Israel. You married a gal and uh, you died, then your brother would have to marry her. And the first son would be named after you so that your name would go on in Israel. Now, if your brother didn't want to marry her, he said, man, she's a dog. Hey, look at all the problems she gave to my brother. I don't want that woman. <laughs> then he could come before the elders of the city and he could say, I don't want to marry her. So he would have to take off his shoe and hand it to her. And then she, in turn, would spit in his face. <laughs> Verse 9, I'm not joshing you, it's here. <laughs> then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall say to him, so shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. <laughs> so you became sort of a villain kind of a guy in Israel after that. You were the dirty guy who wouldn't, you know, fulfill a, a thing of raising up your brother's name or keeping alive your brother's name. You would be called the man from, or the house from whom the shoe was loosed. Uh, and uh, quite a title that you would have to bear. Now in verse 11, if men are striving together and the wives intervene and so forth, then uh, it all depends on how they intervene. They can be in big trouble. Uh, you're not to have in your bag different weights, great and small. Now this is a common practice. You know, they did everything with balances. The only scales they had were balanced scales. But fellows would often have two weights for the balances, one when they were buying and one when they were selling. Diverse weights. And so here's the national standard of weights and measures that got established in Israel. You're not to have different weights in your bag, but you're to use the standard weights when you're buying or selling, you know, instead of having heavier ones when you're selling and the lighter ones when you're buying. Diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord. There's a proverb to that effect. And uh, it was something that people were guilty of doing. And thou shalt not have in thine house different measures, a great and a small. 
but thou shalt have a perfect and a just weight, a perfect and a just measure. In other words, God wants you to deal honestly in your dealings with each other. No deceit, no cheating of one another. For all of those that do such things are unrighteous and they are an abomination unto the Lord. Now in verse 17, God goes back and he says, Remember that guy Amalek, what he did unto you. And in time to come, you're not to forget what Amalek did. He was, a, he, was, he was dirty. What he did is he attacked them from the rear and, and killed off those people who were lame or sick and not able to keep up with the group, the stragglers. And he was attacking from the rear and wiping out the stragglers. It was a dirty tactic that Amalek did. And so you're to remember what Amalek did, and one day you're going to get revenge, and when you do, you're to wipe out Amalek completely. Now, the time came when Amalek was to be wiped out in their history, and you remember that Samuel ordered Saul to go out down and wipe out Amalek utterly. Don't leave anything or anyone alive. Don't even leave their cattle or their sheep alive. Destroy them utterly. Now, as we get into biblical typology, it is interesting because Amalek is a type of the flesh. And God's edict for our flesh is wipe it out utterly. Don't leave any remnants. And any place you leave a remnant in the flesh, you're going to be in trouble. Well, Saul went down... And he saw that some of the cattle were really healthy and good-looking, you know, stock and all. So he kept those alive. But the sickly ones, man, they just really hacked them to pieces. And the same with the sheep. Some of those good, healthy-looking sheep they kept alive. But the sickly ones, man, they just really cut them in pieces. And he also saved alive Agag, the king. And so as he was returning from this battle, an aged Samuel came out to meet him. He said unto Samuel, As the Lord liveth, I have done all that God has commanded me. And Samuel said, If you have done all that is God commanded, how come that I hear the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle? And he said, Oh, he said, uh, we decided the, the, there was such nice stock and all. We decided to bring them back so we could use them as sacrifices. We're going to offer these as sacrifices unto God. And there is where Samuel answered, Thou hast done foolishly. It is better to obey than to sacrifice, and to hearken is better than the fat of rams. In that you have done foolishly and not obeyed the voice of God in utterly wiping them out, God has now rejected you from being king over Israel. Well, now here, uh, back under the law, God had declared that the Amaleks were to be utterly wiped out. When the time came, Saul failed to do it. Now, do you know who the last Amalek is in the Scripture that is recorded? He comes up in the book of Esther, and his name was Haman. And you remember that he conspired to wipe out all of the Jews. 
You see, if you don't obey God and utterly get rid of the flesh, then the flesh is going to rise up and one day seek to destroy you. And so in your, your typology, that is why God ordered the utter destruction of Amalek. Here under the law, don't forget what Amalek did, and therefore it shall be. Verse 19, when the Lord thy God has given you rest in all, from all your enemies round about the land, the Lord God gives you for an inheritance to possess it, you shall blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, and don't forget it. But Saul failed in that, and his failure almost cost the Jews their national existence. Haman had the day set for the extermination of all the Jews, and it was only because God divinely intervened through Esther that the Jews were spared. But uh, interesting story of Amalek, if you want to follow it through in a biblical typology, it's, it's very fascinating indeed. return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Deuteronomy 24 through 25 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and give you a beautiful week. May his hand be upon your life. And may the flame of love really begin to burn in your hearts towards God. That this will be a week in which you're really in tune, in harmony with him. May God be pleased with you by your commitment and devotion to him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. As we look back over the roadmap of our lives, we often see the value of troubled times, personal trials, and even the experiences of pain or the death of a loved one. These are the building blocks that establish God's plan for us. It is with great honor that I'm pleased to introduce Pastor Chuck Smith's autobiography entitled A Memoir of Grace. 
you're invited to pull up a chair and listen as Pastor Chuck shares his personal story of how God's grace prepared him for life's purposes. Perhaps as you're reading this story, you'll be prompted to evaluate your own past, your present situation, and that which is yet to happen, and realize that it all plays a part in establishing God's plan for you. See God's grace at work in your own life when you order a personal copy of A Memoir of Grace by Pastor Chuck. God called me into the ministry and how God has just led us step by step. For more information on how to order your copy, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org or call toll free at 1-800-272-WORD.